Welcome to Automotive Insiders, the podcast series presented by OESA, the Original Equipment Suppliers Association. You'll hear from automotive industry experts on the critical issues that are impacting the mobility landscape. Get actionable insights on how to thrive in Automotive 2.0. Now, here's your Automotive Insiders host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome to Automotive Insiders, presented by OESA. I'm the host, Bonnie D. Graham. Happy to be here with Lori Harbour. She's the president and CEO of Harbour Results, Inc., and I'm going to spell the name of her company so you all can find her, H-A-R-B-O-U-R, the British way. Lori, welcome to Automotive Insiders. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you very much for having me. Well, I know you're a busy lady. You're traveling on and off of planes, jetting around, part of the reopening of the world and the economy, and we're happy that you have landed somewhere so we could talk to you today. We're very privileged to have you with us. Lori, let's go back in time and look a little bit at your history in automotive, and then we'll find out what your company does. How did you get started in automotive? Um, I got started in automotive as a very young child. My father took me down to the Chrysler Hamtramck plant when I was under 10. And uh, for years, we went down there every Saturday and I got excited about cars and decided I wanted to go into engineering and ultimately ended up working for him in his consulting business starting in 1988 and just sort of carried that tradition on as he retired and uh, has since passed away. But he definitely was my mentor in, in this business. Interesting. What was what was the uh, the thought at that time? I know it's not that far back, but as far as a woman in automotive, any any pushback on that, Lori? Well, yeah. For years, I used to say, "Dad, I want to build stuff. I want to build stuff," and he kept saying, "No, you don't. No, you don't." And then uh, about three years in, I finally said, "Why do you keep telling me no?" And he said, "Well, because you're a girl." <laughs> and I said, uh, "You have no idea what fuel you just lit." in me that is going to take me through the rest of my career. And that's been pretty much the basis of what I've been doing my whole life. Thank you. We, we love these stories, Lori. We love these stories of how people got involved. And I know the, the issues of who was starting an automotive as a young girl, as a young boy, and, and the gender pushback way back in the day. So thank you for sharing a real story. Sure. I know our listeners yeah. appreciate that. Now tell us about Harbor Results. Interesting name to your company. So what do you do? Uh, who are your clients? How do you find clients? Uh, go ahead. We are a a small consulting firm. We have about 20 people. We're based out of Southfield, Michigan. Um, Our focus uh, day in and day out is on helping companies drive improvement in their business. It's all about financial profitability. So most of our customers are suppliers, tier two suppliers primarily. So these are people working for the large tier ones, in some cases directly for the OEMs. And then we have a whole side of our business that does benchmarking activity. And as an auto analyst, I'm presenting in multiple locations, sharing our knowledge of the industry and what the effect is down through the supply chain. So it's it's very exciting and and challenging in these times that we're in right now. It must be. Uh, Have you found that people are are very interested in, well, well, I've spoken to Julie Freem, president Mm -hmm. and CEO of OESA, uh, recently, Lori, and she told me that Automotive was basically at a standstill for a month and a half. That was the latest number I heard, 45-something days. Uh, Are you finding that companies are seeing the light literally at the end of the tunnel, driving through that tunnel? Is is there a reopening you're seeing of of your clients? 
Yeah, definitely there's a reopening. Uh, it's kind of an interesting story because car sales are actually doing fairly decent, probably better than what we expected them to be. And most importantly, because we were down for that 45 days, we drained the vehicle inventories off of dealer lots. So OEMs are dramatically working to replenish that inventory, particularly trucks and SUVs, things that people really want to buy while, while fuel prices are low. And so volumes we're seeing at our suppliers are a little higher than what we actually had them planning for. We had them planning for a little bit lower volumes. Um, I unfortunately think when we get into fourth quarter and next year, that's going to level off again because uh, I think we're not done with economic uncertainty. But certainly we're seeing people, you know, working diligently to make parts and also working hard to keep people safe. Very interesting. Your good news about the forecast is good news. And and the surprise, I'm sure, rippled through the industry. And they said, what? People are buying again? Cleaning out the inventory, that's a good thing. Maybe a little bit late, but it's certainly good to clear that out, right? Yeah, I mean, it's a good thing that people are buying cars. The challenge is we have to remember that the people who were sitting on unemployment, making an extra $600 a week and getting stimulus checks and had a job they knew they were going back to, Mm-hmm. They were able to go out and buy new cars and replace that old vehicle that they had. My concern or fear going forward is that things are going to level off. And in the future, some of those people may actually lose their jobs because volumes will be down 15, 20% for the next, I don't know, 18 to 24 months. And we're going to realize that, that we, were kept, we, we kept our job because of PPP loans that many of these suppliers got from the federal government. When that money's gone and volumes are down, we're going to need to lay off again. And I think by fourth quarter, some people will get laid off and then economic uncertainty becomes a big challenge again. And that will drop consumer spending. Thank you for the reality check, the good and the bad and everything in between. And we're still hoping for optimism. Lori, I have a couple topics I'd like to cover with you in addition to our general conversation we've been having. Uh, Let me pose a question to you or two questions, actually. What is the impact of COVID on the auto supply base and how has it been affecting the suppliers requirements from the car makers? Sure. Well, the interesting thing is that most of the tier one suppliers had sort of a double or maybe even triple impact. Many of them were affected in the fourth quarter of last year by the General Motors strike. So they had low volumes and and difficult profitability coming into 2020. And then China, if these were global tier one suppliers, China, of course, went down in their auto industry in January and February. And then Europe went down and then North America went down. So you've seen not just a a 45-day or or 90-day period here in North America, but they've seen an impact to profitability and cash flow in particular since last fall. And so as they work to rebuild their volumes and and help the automotive OEMs launch these assembly plants, they're being challenged by cash flow to buy material. Mm-hmm. They're being challenged to bring people back to work because, again, some people are at home making more money than they might be making coming to work. So they're having difficulty getting people to come back to work. And then they have their own supply chain interruptions. If I'm a tier one supplier, I've got some tier two suppliers that provide me parts. Then those suppliers are very vulnerable. And that, that, those things combined are really creating a very difficult environment for them to support the OEMs at the volumes that especially on the truck side, some of these OEMs want to get back to three shifts on, on building those trucks. Interesting. You covered 
part of what I wanted to ask you next, Lori, about if there were delays in programs and launches, how does it affect suppliers' ability to get paid? But let me ask, add, add something to that. Toolmakers are now making tools for suppliers as well as car makers. So how serious is the cash flow issue? How serious is the ability to get paid, which has that domino or ripple effect in the whole economy? What are you seeing? Well, you know, with the OEMs going down for 45 days and not and suppliers not building parts, there was basically no cash being generated. We weren't billing, we weren't collecting cash. And, and so all of these tier twos, of course, were down as well. The, the problem is the tier two supply base, which is thousands of suppliers, could be a small stamper, could be a tool maker. They all supply these tier ones and OEMs directly or indirectly. And they're typically under 100 million in revenue. Family businesses that frankly, are probably not run really well. They're not real lean. They're not creating a lot of cash. And so if they came into 2020 in a vulnerable position financially, not profitable or or just breaking even and high balance sheets, all of a sudden the industry shuts off. Then when it ramps back up again, they, they have to buy material to make parts for their customers, but they have no cash. And so they won't be paid for maybe 45 to 60 days after they start shipping parts. Now, all of these, for the most part, probably 95% of them uh, received a, a PPP loan from the federal government that allowed them to keep their people, but they have to use that to pay their people and their rent and their utilities, not buy material to make parts. So cash flow right now in that tier two supply base is very thin. Some cases, they don't even know how to manage cash flow because they just weren't trained that way. They were, they were operators that ran a press and created a business. So it's a very difficult situation. And, and any one of those goes down, they can shut the entire assembly plant down. Okay. Well, that's a reality check. And we have to look at that. We have to face that. Lori, I want to look into the future of automotive tooling. So we know electric cars, they're going to be here more and more autonomous vehicles. Once we get past the safety issues, they're mm-hmm. going to be out there. We're going to see more ride sharing. We're going to see more. You sit in the backseat, watch a movie and do your work while the car goes somewhere that was programmed, hopefully in the right direction and gets you there. So the question is, with the changes in these new types of vehicles, will tooling, will they need? Will the manufacturers need the same tools and as often as they have in the past for, shall we say, traditional vehicles? What do you think? Well, it's actually kind of interesting because an electric vehicle really is primarily the same as an internal combustion engine vehicle with the exception of that engine. So I take away the engine. I certainly take away some tooling that's associated with that, but I replace it with a battery case and several components that drive the the battery assembly. And so there are some some give and takes, right, that we have in terms of technology. But there are so many new electric vehicles coming out that we actually have more vehicle launches. And the exterior of the vehicle and the interior of the vehicle are the same as any other car. So if I'm introducing something like 180 new electric vehicles in the next three or four years, that's actually tooling opportunity that would not have existed before. And so it's actually really good for tool makers. And, and the thing that's important to remember about a tool maker is they don't care whether you make 5,000 of those or 200,000 of those. So the tools are the same. So that complexity is actually good for a tool maker. The, the challenge for them is going to be 
given the current COVID situation, that these OEMs are in, they're in a very difficult profit scenario. So when they get towards the end of the calendar year 2020 and they look at how much money they have to launch new vehicles next year, they're going to have to prioritize. And they are going to cut programs because they won't be able to afford to do everything they plan to do. They were all pretty profitable going into COVID. So they're going to have to cut programs. Ford's already cut two really big programs and and we expect there's going to be more from several OEMs. That means less tooling for toolmakers. So it's kind of a give and take. And I think it's going to be a very soft 2021 and even into 22 for the tool makers for, for quite a while. Thank you for your insights, Lori. I have one more question. Let's go high up on the mountain. You as an industry expert, what's your advice for the automotive supplier community? And you could make it through the end of 2020. You've already given some predictions for 2021. Go as far out as you want. What's overall, what do you see and what would you advise them to do in terms of positioning their businesses, in terms of digital transformation, in terms of understanding what's going on in the industry, in terms of even becoming members of OESA so they can go to those town halls and they can have a safe place and they can get the advantage of advocacy uh, and, and the benefits of your company services as well. What do you see, Lori? Well, that's a given. If you're not a member of OESA, then you're not running your business well because that's the only place to get the best information about the auto industry. So that's a given. But uh, it, as you look, as these companies look forward, they have to um, be very conscientious about everything they're doing every single day. So we have to block and tackle on the basics of running our business. We have to not take our eye off the ball because we got federal loans. We have to run our business like we didn't get that federal loan. So getting through 2020, even if we see forecasts go up, we have to be diligent about planning what I call the best case scenario, the worst case scenario, and then some likely case. And then if, if, you know, if the best case scenario happens, great. But as you go into 2021, you've got to be gathering data and information and understand the forecast of your customers. I believe we're going to see a very soft market probably until about 2023, and then then things will begin to potentially ramp up. However, the economy is going to take a different turn potentially at that time frame because somebody has to pay for this $3 trillion of of funding that the government has given us. So inflation will start to rise, and, and so we have to plan for a lower set of volume, reduce our break even and run our business day-to-day planning. Sometimes we get too involved in the, the working in the business and we don't plan. And there's no more important time to drive efficiency. This, this recovery is going to be a marathon, not a sprint. And, and you mentioned something about technology. I think automation and technology are going to absolutely be the future and faster than we expected. There are companies who ran their business without fail in the last three months because they were automated and they could leave and have a skeleton crew. So people need to put a technology roadmap in place and think about the future, even though they may be on low cash right now. What can we do as we start to generate cash in our business? And we got to drive efficiency, get the waste out of our business. And if people don't want to come to work, let them stay home, but permanently. And, and drive efficiency in our business. I know that's kind of cruel, but at the end of the day, we were not flexible enough to go into COVID and we're going to see some fallout of suppliers. So at the same time, there's opportunity. There's going to be great opportunity. Every good crisis creates opportunity for new work. And so suppliers got to be open-minded to that and they got to go find it. 
Very well put, Laurie Harbour. Those were words of wisdom. I think there were some quotable moments in there. <laughs> Laurie, where can people find Harbour results? And again, I'm going to spell that H-A-R-B-O-U-R, the British spelling results. Where can people find you, Laurie? We are, you can find us on the, on our website, www.harbourresults.com. And uh, we're located in Southfield and, and OESA absolutely knows how to get a hold of me as well, too. So we'd love to help uh, with whatever we can with these suppliers. Thank you so much. And again, if you want to know more about OESA, OESA.org, that's where to find OESA. Lori Harbor, it has been such a privilege speaking with you. I know you're very busy. I have great admiration and respect for what you do and your knowledge. You have shared a lot of good results, a lot of good predictions, a lot of good looking at the reality check of where the automotive industry is today, where suppliers are, and some hard looks at what the reality may be in the near Mm -hmm. future. So we're going to wish everybody well. I'm Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Laura, you could wave goodbye. Signing off for Automotive Insiders. Thank you. Presented by OESA. Thank you, Laurie. Bye-bye. Thank Thank you very much. Thanks again for tuning in to Automotive Insiders, presented by OESA. Listen at your convenience to industry thought leaders as they discuss the ever-evolving industry and how companies can thrive in the new mobility landscape. All episodes are on demand on the Voice America Business Channel and at OESA.org. Automotive Insider is presented by the Original Equipment Suppliers Association.